0: The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome Welcome, to Data Guru's podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be be brave, and be fearless, let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast.
1: Thanks for tuning back in to this second part of my conversation with Gary Laban, CEO of Dynata. In this episode, you hear a lot more about how Gary views the industry as it relates to the expansion and accessibility to new tools and methodologies for people to do research. We talk about Dynata's investment thesis linked to its corporate strategy, their approach in doing in taking on acquisition, and we close by understanding a little bit about what Gary worries about. a listen. Let's talk about how big you think the opportunity is, you know, for the entire industry, right? Up till now, we've been defined, or many have defined the universe to be, you know, the traditional SMR number of $80 billion worldwide. With the advancement of technology coming into the space, it's bringing more players different buying audiences. And some would argue, I wouldn't even say argue, some would say that that total addressable market for anybody who plays in this space is much larger. What's your perspective on that?
2: Well, I certainly believe that. I think that the industry, absolutely the number you referenced, you know, the 80 billion number sort of represents the TAM for the traditional market research. But I think two things drive sort of what I think is the real number here. Number one is the changes going on within traditional market research from generally a technological standpoint that expands the market because it expands the access to sort of the mass market research sector you know limited you know previously i think one would kind of think about larger businesses and more established companies sort of in the market for these services but i think it's absolutely the case now with our ability to provide access in very tech forward ways that it opens up a much larger marketplace. And if you just think about our personal lives, while there are lots of brands, you know, the large brands that dominate certain landscapes, all those landscapes are filled with much smaller companies that are able, because of their own technology adoption, to build very competitive products. I just even think about uh, in my own personal life, you know, you want to buy an e-bike. And there are literally, you know, all of the big companies that produce bikes, you know, have their value proposition. But because of the ability for you know, digital printing and the ability for you know, mass distribution, there are hundreds of small companies that are doing terrific jobs. And all of those companies, before they sell a couple thousand dollar piece of equipment, need to understand their marketplace so they get it right and build that product or service correctly. And so that really expands, I think, traditional market research. The other area, though, is I referenced the marketing services ecosystem. I feel like it's a very continuous ecosystem. And so whether it's a circle or a line or whatever, however you want to draw it, I feel like that market research is really inextricably connected to lead and demand gen and crm and advertising because at the end of the day the work that we do in quote unquote market research is really you know ultimately to understand someone so that we can drive some sort of behavior generally in context of what I've been talking about. It's some sort of purchase or some sort of customer relationship. And where I'm really excited about this, and I've said this many times, I think that the data that drives this, you know, these decisions and the start should be the underlying data. The first party data that drives those should be the underlying data that drives the execution of those ideas. And if you can keep that data sort of consistent along that continuum, you eliminate or certainly reduce, I should say, the opportunities for getting it wrong because you're holding certain variables consistent throughout a process. And that's the data here. And so that business, right? If you think about media and advertising, that's way more than, even more than an order of magnitude bigger than market research. And so, you know, if I think that there's an, honestly, I think there's an order of magnitude of size opportunity just in MR. And I think the adjacency of, The rest of the marketing services spectrum is another order of magnitude on that. And so you're talking about, in my estimation, a couple trillion dollars. Yeah. And I think that's great.
1: Yeah, it's exciting, right? Because the bigger the market, the more opportunity, the more innovation. Sometimes I think about, like to your point, those entrepreneurs, like the e-bike people, where did they get their answers before, right? You think about the risk they took.
2: Friends and family, right? And I'm sure they're avid bikers themselves, right? And they say, I want to do it differently because it didn't work for me when I bought this bike. And then it's got to be friends, family, you know, couldn't have been anything, you know, in general more than that. I mean, I don't want to disparage and, you know, suggest that smaller businesses aren't doing good research in that regard, but the opportunity to do it it's not just about, you know, they're not having the ability to take advantage of the, you know, the techniques or the knowledge or, or anything. It's the speed at which they were operating where they didn't want to, you know, they needed us to meet them in that scenario. Right. And so now we're introducing, like you said, you know, agile research and stuff that's flying by. And so we're actually able to address the challenges in their you know particular areas that we didn't previously.
1: I completely agree with you. Let, let me ask you this. So there's some you know, I would say friction as it relates to good research that has the underpinnings of a sound methodology, representation, good battery questions, which tend to be sometimes annoying. You know, with this change, are we throwing the baby out with the bathwater? What's your perspective on that?
2: No, I think it's a great question because, you know, it really is about is faster going to denigrate sort of the process? And the way we look at it is we have to do both. And before where we may have applied a particular methodology to assure the fidelity of a particular project, we have to say, provide the same fidelity. The methodology now may be, you know, through artificial intelligence or machine learning to make that happen. And we've introduced a couple products even at the end of last year, which in real time starts to sort of score, if you will, and and quantify the fidelity of a project in field. And that helps us really understand and point to, you know, the areas where, you know, the project may be If you will, you know, not performing as we envisioned. And that, you know, could be everything, like you said, from the user experience, the questions to even the data that's involved. And so we haven't, you know, our value proposition will always, you know, be to provide the highest quality data that we can, first party data to drive these outcomes. And so we will never drop that in pursuit of the speed or any other metric that adjusts to the changing market dynamics, but it certainly puts a lot of pressure on us to figure out how to do it because there are all sorts of fine companies out there that are, you know, helping along with us to sort of either address the customer need or move the marketplace in in ways that I think are terrific.
1: Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that the core, at the very core is first party data. You got, you got people who've opted in to participate in research, and that in itself is going to drive good quality, ultimately, regardless of what, quote unquote, use case you have for research, whether it's, you know, these large MIDI studies or if it's agile research, that underlying premise is that first party data.
2: Right. And that premise of, and you referenced it early in your description there, representative and diverse and inclusive of you know, the outcome that people are seeking, we spend a lot of time trying to make sure that we have identified all the cohort groups that our clients need us to make sure that we deliver on their outcome. And so it's absolutely at the center of what we do. We think we're the largest company, not in the space, but frankly, in the world with this access to the first party data. For sure, Google and Facebook have large you know, volumes of it behind walled gardens, however, and ours is available to use by, um, you know, under um, proper terms and conditions by brands and companies all around the world. And, you know, we do that, of course, within the value exchange and the ecosystem that uh, is a win-win-win for everybody.
1: Do you think questionnaires
2: will ever change? I hope so, right? I mean, I hope this isn't where we end up. I think that, you know, there's we haven't made the progress that we really need to and as an industry, right? And I think that the idea of creating some more standardization of some of this, I think, is really important. Years ago, in, and I referenced it in one of my previous roles. I was part of TRW, and then Experian was large—you know, one of the world's largest credit reporting agencies—and I was part of an initiative way back when to standardize what was sort of all the data coming to credit granters around consumer and business repayment history, because. You can imagine there's very large companies and they could get together and figure out a standard way to do that. But your credit granting relationships aren't just with the largest banks in the world. They're with, you know, uh, the electric provider or your gas provider or your landlord. And so we created a very standardized way to do that. I replicated that when I moved over into the sort of the marketing side of the business to create sort of a standard way that the clients with whom we worked would think about marketing data now and by the way that was huge <laughs> we were technically limited by the fact that you know when you work for companies across all industries what they consider to be important marketing information for the CRM process it's super broad so we had to kind of figure all that out but i think there's an analog here to you know sort of what is a standard set of data and how do we accumulate it in not only ways that are complete but in ways that actually enhance its sort of voluntary contribution, right? How do you make, how do you convince a panelist to not only do it, but to do it with vigor, right? Because they wanna answer these kinds of questions and and know that they're gonna be able to do it, you know, kind of one time or in a standard way. And imagine how much time that leaves us for, you know, that piece that's germane to the very specific. So we've got to get there. I don't know that I have quite an answer for that, but I remember being on stage once and committing to some things like this with some other folks in the industry. And dare say, we probably haven't made too much progress. We, I'm sure we're all going to blame a, uh, a certain event <laughs> that begins with a P for last year on that, but we need to get back to that. I absolutely think that that's a, you know, a real way to unlock both the, extended, you know, the the extended TAMs that I referenced earlier.
1: Well, and I also think it preserves our industry, right? The more people who participate from a survey perspective, the better off we are as it relates to, you know, being able to address that bigger town.
2: Absolutely. I think you're right on with that.
1: I'm going to ask you one other question. Your perspective on blockchain.
2: You know, we have uh, investment in the blockchain because, you know, for sure, we think that there is a population some very important today i'd call them you know segments or you know certain cohort groups that are very hard to reach that embrace the virtues of the blockchain from a matter of security and trust and in order to get at those you know those cohorts today we absolutely feel like there's an opportunity i think that for sure That'll expand over time and as appropriate to impact broader sets of cohorts and be, you know, much more at part, I would say, of mainstream in the sector. And, you know, I look forward to it because I think that's, um, you know, really, really fascinating. And so we certainly believe in it uh,
0: 100%. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership
2: with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation. We are agile and quick to meet your needs. Visit paradigmsample.com today.
1: So you guys have been really busy in the investment acquisition side of things over the last several years, you know, obviously with the big one early on which, which was the SSI and related entities, but more recently, you know, the Reimagined Holdings, the investment in Measure Protocol and other companies. Can you give us your thesis as you think about acquisition? Like what are you looking for as it relates to places to extend into?
2: So we kind of bifurcate it in two easy ways, and it's not particular rocket science, but we want to expand either our capabilities or our data asset, if you will. So the data asset itself or the capabilities that surround it. And we don't particularly, one isn't necessarily prioritized ahead of the other, because I think some of the market, you know, determines some of that. But where we are, we look for businesses from a data perspective that fill in the blanks, if you will, from cohorts and or from geographies where we might be underrepresented as much as, you know, in other areas. I mean, one would, I think, agree that we have our largest sort of set of data resides in the Americas and, and well, in the United States. And of course, we have, of course, global coverage, but there's a varying degree of density of that around the world. And so where we can find opportunities as Those opportunities meet real market scenarios. And so, areas like the African continent, you know, the question of, you know, when do we make a much bigger play? Is it to spur the adoption from sort of more offline to online, or do we wait till more of that adoption has taken place? And you know, do we make that happen? That's a you know, obviously, I think and someone in with your experience knows it's just a matter of, you know, you kind of look at the industry and, and look at the sector and kind of make that decision as best as you can. As it relates to capabilities, we try to surround, you know, we launched our insights platform a couple of years ago with the idea that we wanted to have one place for our clients to come to do everything from Access our data, but also to kind of perform their entire set of market research activities related to our data in one place. And so we've been completing that, uh, those pieces of the puzzle to make sure that it's a complete offering for our clients. And I think that capability, you know, certainly has existed for many, many years, even outside of our industry. If you kind of think about marketing clouds whether it's, you know, uh, one of the companies like an Adobe or an Oracle or an IBM. Well, this is, you know, we kind of think about this as sort of the, I'll say market research cloud, if you will. It's a little broader than that, but it's trying to accomplish the same sort of thing. And so we look for companies or, you know, look for assets that help us make that happen. One of the latest ones that we made was a business called Sharper, which is a, helps us curate content. And the vision there is it really helps us do that with our own, a set of capabilities, but we want our clients to be able to link their other market research activities outside of what they do directly with us so that they can have one platform, one dashboard to view their entire set of activities across the marketing research uh, ecosystem.
1: Thank you for that. That explains it very well. I'm curious, have you guys, like, you know, culture obviously is a big deal when you do any acquisition and integration. Have you had any challenges? Are there, you know, is there a, formula of how you integrate a new company into the portfolio?
2: We are, you know, the first thing that we, you know, we we always kind of think about, and this is kind of maybe the self-deprecating is, you know, don't mess it up. And, you know, the M word is actually substituted with a different first letter because these businesses got started and created a lot of value without us, (laughs) right? I mean, we typically, we don't acquire, you know, or look at turnaround situations just as, as the nature of who we are. And so there's a huge track record of success before us and far be it from us to think that, oh, now we're going to tell you how to do it right. So what we try to do is in terms of some of, if you will, the smaller, um, the point solutions is make sure that we uh, connect it to the organization in you know meaningfully strategic ways and over time that you know becomes larger and larger you know as time goes on and as the if you will the connection between the you know the company that we've acquired and the you know and Dynata as that revenue stream sort of increases then we kind of think about well what do we do about sort of organizational alignment what do we do about branding you know what do we do about even further new product development but we try to do that very carefully now there are As you referenced earlier on with the creation of or the integration of SSI with Research Now, that was really where we had, frankly, two of everything. (laughs) They're very similar businesses. And so you have to have a much different approach from an integration standpoint. And the leadership teams of both of those businesses, I think, ran extremely solid and good businesses. But we also had to be really honest with ourselves that we did that for a living, but we didn't, you know, our day job was not integrating companies, if you will, in the size and scale of that. And so we actually made sure that we used some help from third parties to help us, you know, achieve the integration in terms of the timetable and the the synergies that we wanted to create and make sure that we, you know, created value at the end of this. And so, you know, we sought help. I sort of liken that to... uh, There's a big difference of back in the day when things weren't in the cloud. My old company, we owned and operated a series of data centers. And you'd have to sometimes migrate or consolidate. And the first thing we learned, (laughs) maybe the hard way, is we know how to run data centers but we don't know how to move data centers. <laughs> and, and so it's the same thing here. You know, we know how to run these companies, but we want to make sure that we get the best advice about how to put some of these things together. And these, as I referenced, is the bigger ones. So, you know, that's really important. The other thing that you referenced was culture. I don't believe in sort of the, um, well, that it's additive. You know, we'll take every bit of company A and merge it with B and merge it with C. The resultant company has to create and own its own culture. And so while there, you know, are, there are very big and, you know, smaller businesses that are part of the overall Dynata ecosystem, there has to be a culture. And it, like I said, it can't be the, you know, we're going to make everybody happy sort of scenario of, because you can imagine, right? Every company probably has a set of values. And by the time you're done saying, well, your five values are good. Your nine values are good. I like your four values or you're going to have 27 values and you can't live, a business can't can't have 27 masters, if you will. You got to choose the important things that the company stands for. And sometimes it's hard for people to give the other ones up.
1: I think it's always so important in that initial phase of a transition that it's clear kind of what the intent is, not in a big, bad wolf way, but you know that ultimately there's this vision that we're going to try to get to. And it is to unite the culture uh, to one's, you know, one crying, not crying call, but one vision that we can all get around.
2: That's exactly it. And a rallying call is absolutely, you know, maybe not part of the values, but absolutely part of it. Right. I mean, if there's anything that keeps people together, it's a shared purpose. And sometimes that shared purpose, you know, a year ago is preserve liquidity. (laughs) So You know, sometimes, you know, hopefully most of the time it's not that, and it's, you know, solve this massive problem you know, our opportunity. And so it constantly have to make sure you put that shared purpose out there so everybody can, you know, use that as their uh, true north.
1: So Gary, you had recently, there was a bid company to be acquired, right? I don't know how recent it was. It was 2019. Is that the right date?
2: Rumors to that effect? Yes.
1: (laughs) Can you share a little bit or kind of, because you know how, just as connected as our industry is, good news spreads, but so does other news. And so it'd be great if you wanted to share a little perspective as to what
2: happened. You know, I think the rumors of our, I guess, transaction and acquisition were a little bit exaggerated. And you can imagine that there are a number of companies in and around the ecosystem that, you know, support that kind of activity that are very interested in sort of estimating and pontificating around what that would be like. And I think that drove most of it. But, you know, there's... The obvious reality is that the business is owned by private equity. Private equity is interested in a return on its investment. And, you know, when it deems that uh, it's the, you know, kind of the right and the appropriate time and can maximize its value in in the best way for all shareholders, then it's going to go do that. And so, you know, it's probably not an if, uh, it's a when. I was reminded in one of my first jobs that by one of my uh, first bosses and he managed a whole host of businesses and he said, at any given time, any one or all of these businesses is for sale. Yeah. And, you know, you have to kind of think about it that way because under the right scenario, you know, people get moving fast. And, you know, we're always, um, I think, you know, have that dose of reality that when the time is right for us to, uh, to move to a kind of a different You know, scenario. Then it'll happen.
1: Makes sense, right? Investors don't invest just to watch you continue to grow. They're looking for a return on investment. So I'm curious about what do you worry about? business about Dynata what I'll use the you know what keeps you up at night although maybe nothing but really you get the idea
2: old old age (laughs) (laughs) and all the things that come with it and so you know I'd like to think it's only that I'm sure it's most of it but the other part of it is is you know usually the answer to that question is people the expectation from folks is you know I'm going to name a business uh, you know, a competitor. And it's really not. I think that we are our own opportunity and we're our own sort of liability. And the our ability to execute our plan and to do it with the appropriate amount of haste is really what stands in our way every day. And so we sometimes, in fact, even as early as this morning, a group of my leaders, we were meeting on something. And, you know, after about halfway through sort of the discussion, we were, we were just thinking, well, why are we waiting till then? Why don't we just go right now with the decision that we think it's going to be? And gosh, if we're wrong, we'll course correct. But apps absent that meeting, and it was kind of happenstance to sort of discuss what we were doing, we probably would have, you know, moved things out, you know, made belabored a decision. And it's just an example, right? So it's, you know, maybe sort of belaboring decisions. It's not taking enough risks. I worry about that in our business that we're, you know, we're, are we really taking the risks, you know, the people, the companies that are setting up really solid, you know, capabilities in the sector, many of them, I shouldn't say just the, but are folks who have, quote unquote, I'll say nothing to lose, right? Their garage with the technology that, you know, has allowed them to, you know, kind of think about problems differently. And, you know, they're not worrying about, you know, dotting I 17 times and crossing T's. They're just like, well, this looks pretty good. Let me call somebody and see if they'll buy it. And so we have to constantly remember that that is the ecosystem in which most businesses play. And, you know, that sort of gets to the corollary of this, which is we don't have to have the right answer. We just have to have a right answer, because if we had the right answer, we wouldn't be worrying about competition because there wouldn't be any. We have the only game in town, the only solution to everybody's problems. But there are many, many fine companies in this in this sector that offer great solutions to clients up and down. And we're ball growing, if you will. I, you know, in, in, in general, you know, the as the industry grows, you know, we grow. And so it means that that there's more to it than just the right strategy or the right answer. And so that's why I just want to make sure that our strategy, the way we, the direction we've chosen is the best that it can possibly be.
1: And as a leader, I'm sure you agree, you welcome competition, it moves inertia, it moves you to be quicker, it moves you to make those decisions, maybe it takes some risks.
2: It makes us go faster, and frankly, you know, this industry is a bastion of incredible talent, and sometimes, I don't like it to happen, but sometimes people leave our company and go to one of these fabulous businesses, and they learn a lot, and then we're fortunate enough to catch them at a different point in their career. And they can, you know, come back and work with us. And, you know, the intelligence that, you know, and the techniques and the, you know, the growth that they've developed can then come back and help us again. And, you know, all of that is a wonderful virtuous circle.
1: Gary, thank you so much for joining me today. I truly enjoyed our conversation and your openness and honesty.
2: Totally my pleasure. And much to, I guess, the belief you can call me anytime and happy to get on again. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks again, Seema.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to.